the True Tone Lounge podcast features audio-only versions of our video interviews. To view those, please visit truetonelounge.com or our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash truetonefx. Hi, I'm Zach Childs, and this is the True Tone Lounge. Today, our guest is Reggie Young. Reggie Young is one of the most revered and respected uh, you know, guitar players of all time. He's played on sessions for everyone from Elvis to Merle Haggard and George Strait, and on and on and on. So you were born in 1936? Yeah. Yeah. In Missouri? In Crothersville, Missouri. Yeah. Okay. In the Boot Hill, they call it. In the Boot Hills. Yeah. And so how did you end up from uh, Missouri, and then you, you, you were in Arkansas next? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was in Arkansas, and my uh, <clears throat> mother's mother lived in uh, Missouri, and she went up there to have me. <laughs> and uh, Were you born in a hospital or in a home? No, in a home, in my yes. grand- grandmother's house. Yes. And so after I got able, I guess we moved back to Osceola, okay. Arkansas. And so you lived there for about the first 10, 10 or so years of your life? Th- uh Thirteen years. I moved to Memphis when I was fourteen. Okay. Mm-hmm. And when did you start playing the guitar? When I uh, moved to Memphis, my dad played guitar, uh, the old Hawaiian style guitar, okay. Sweet Lavani, and all those songs. Yes. And uh, uh, he bought me a guitar for Christmas, mm-hmm. and it was a national flat top. The strings were way up, you know. But I got. To, I got through it. <laughs> yeah. You learned learned how to. You, know, you got strong. I got very strong, yeah. and then I bought a right Dillman pickup. Mm-hmm. I don't know, and it did uh, at a pawn shop. I bought it, yeah. and then my neighbor made me an amp out of a jute box part. <laughs> So then I was electrified, and I couldn't be stopped. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So who were some of your earliest you know, guitar heroes, guys that you were listening to and trying to emulate? Or were you, or were you just kind of playing melodies? Or Well, yeah, I was. Uh, I guess Jingo Reinhardt. Yeah. And uh, early, well, in Memphis, like B.B. King and uh, yeah. some blues, Delta blues player. But then Chad Atkins was a big influence yeah. on everybody around there at that time. Yeah. One of the interesting things about Memphis and the players there is it, it seems like that's really a, a point of, of intersection between you know, Nashville and Delta Blues. It seems yeah. like most of the players, like when I was thinking about your playing, I thought that uh, your your playing is kind of if there could be an intersection between Chet Atkins and BB King, <laughs> Reggie yeah. Young might be you know, near, I'm in near there that. somewhere. Yeah, yeah in there somewhere. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I was influenced by Memphis music. Yeah. is what it did. It's uh, yeah. a little different than most places. Yeah. The clubs up and down Beale Street and around. <clears throat> if you the music still sounds. There's always blues or. Something you know, yeah. but it was uh, R&B based. Yeah, but not a lot of country country bands were there. Okay, but they were still somewhat influenced by country Absolutely. music. Absolutely, yeah. But that but that didn't really come out. That was again, it was a mixture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So who was the the first artist that you played with uh, professionally? 
Well, there was a, uh, there was a guy in Memphis, his name Eddie Bond, okay. and he had a, we had a rockabilly band. We formed a band together, and uh, it was called Eddie Bond and the... The Stompers? The Stompers, yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, we cut this record called Rockin' Daddy, and it was a regional hit. Okay. But uh, we got on this package tour with Johnny Cash, Carl Perkins, and some more rockabilly artists. Yeah. And, uh, and we toured all over the United States. And, and that would, was my yeah. first first time out, yeah. yeah. And you would later, you know, record with those uh, and tour with yeah. some of those other oh, yeah. other characters. So, uh, so you had Eddie Bond, then also Johnny Horton comes into the picture. Johnny Horton came into the picture, and, and uh, <clears throat> uh, after a while, uh, he he uh, he needed a guitar player. Okay. And uh, asked asked me if I would. We come to work with him, and uh, well, Marshall Grant, the bass player with Johnny Cash, mm -hmm. <clears throat> he's the one that approached me. He said, "You know, said Horton needs a guitar player. I'm gonna put your name in the pot." Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and I anyway, I got elected, and that's cool. I went to Streetport and played on the Louisiana Hayride for okay. Back in the fifties for years. Yeah. And. Uh, yeah, back in that day, the, the uh, Louisiana, there were regional radio shows that were very important. At the time, the Grand Ole Opry was just one of many, right. you know, regional uh, radio, live radio shows. And uh, Shreveport and Dallas and Chicago and right. all had uh, big uh, radio shows at that point. And uh, the, uh, a lot of people, they graduate from the Hayride and go to the Opry, mm -hmm. see. And... Uh, Anyway, it was it was a good good place to learn stuff. Yeah, and uh, I knew a lot of people down down Treeport that I met. There was one guy, a good friend of mine named David Houston. Yes, and he had some some pretty big records out. And DJ Fontana that played drums with Elvis. He's from Treeport. Yeah. And uh, James Burton. And James Burton. Oh yeah. Yeah. And. Uh, <clears throat> Anyway, while I was down there, I got a call from my draft board. Okay. And uh, oh. they still had the draft then. Yeah. And uh, yeah. said uh, I would probably be on the next draft. Okay. So uh, I came home. I'm trying to think of a year. Uh, Is this before or, or after uh, the the Bill Black combo has started, the Army. No, it was, this is when it started. Okay. So I came back to Memphis in the late 50s. Okay. And uh, I had known Bill, and Elvis was in the okay. service, and so Bill wasn't working, didn't do anything. Okay. Yeah, how, did, how did you meet Bill Black? We used to play in uh, places around Memphis. It was <laughs> Home for Incurable was one of them. <laughs> Home for the incurable. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And Jack Cowboy Clements. Yes. He was. Yeah. Yeah. He would do some. We'd back him up. And, okay. But uh, when he was still a performer before he kind of got more yeah. into record production. Right. Yeah. So anyway, Bill said, uh, "Did I want to work over at Royal Studio High Records?" Okay. And uh, we, we were just. Uh, uh, Playing with artists and they write songs and 
So we'd help put it down on tape. And then once a month, a guy named Ed Kessack from London Records would come in, and uh, he'd listen to what all we had done, you know. Mm -hmm. And he didn't get to pick very many. (laughs) And uh, I remember uh, I said, well, let's let's try something different because instrumentals were real big back then. Right, you had the the ventures and champs and, 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 and Dwayne Eddy yeah, and all exactly. these different artists. Where you know, instrumental rock was cool at that point. So I took my guitar and tuned down two steps where it was real low. Yeah, so you tuned down to C. Yeah, there's no trick they used to use back then. The drummer would take a drum solo and mm-hmm. and he'd reach over and play on the bass player, upright right. bass player. Yeah, right. he'd hit the strings. With yes, it, and then they'd hit the guitar strings right. too. So I don't know, it sort of came from that, and I said, I took a pencil and I was playing a don't, 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 don't shuffle beat. So you're, yeah, you're doing kind of a boogie shuffle yeah. beat, but you were, you were uh, instead of you know, hitting it with a pick, you were hitting it with the, with with the pencil. pencil. Yeah. There's, uh, so we did blues stuff like that, and, mm-hmm. it, and Ed Kessack, when he came, the next time he came down, he heard that, he said, oh, what is that? He said, I like that. Yeah. And we said, well, we were just goofing off a little bit, and. But he took it and released it on uh, Hive Records, distributed by London. Mm-hmm. And uh, Smokey, part one and part two, they had part one and part two records back then. Okay. And uh, and it became a, a pretty big hit. It, and they, we were the number one instrumental group for 1960, 61, and 62, according to Billboard. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So Ed from London Records was was coming down, and he was he was looking through what what High Records was doing, yeah. and the, and he was kind of cherry picking what he liked that he would re-release on London Records, which would uh, which was being released you know all over the world or mainly in Europe or all over. I think. Okay, yeah, yeah. So he was just that that was pretty pretty common. That uh, was Jerry Wexler was doing that with uh, you know with other you know little little labels and things like right. that. Right. Yeah. yeah. So you know, work, working with with Bill Black, uh, did you hear many you know Elvis stories? Oh yeah, there was one thing that was unusual for me. Uh, Black said that uh, you know he when he was working with that was it was a number one act in the United States, mm-hmm. and uh, I thought they made a lot of money, but mm-hmm. they made Union Scale wherever they played. Okay, and. Uh, like if it was fifteen dollars to play Memphis or yeah. or St. Louis or something, that's all they made. They yeah. they get paid scale for whatever town they went yeah. through, and and uh, wow. So, so they, I think they quit. Yeah, Bill and Scotty, mm-hmm. and uh, I think DJ stayed with him. But okay. anyway. So yeah, so Elvis was raking it in, and and and, and Colonel Tom Parker was just paying oh, paying yeah. the players uh, just yeah. the bare you know the bare minimum what he right. could get by with. Right. Yeah. Wow. So you're you're working with Bill. So then Bill Black passes away. Yeah. Yeah. So was that a, a complete you know shock to everyone? Or? Well, he had I think he had a brain tumor. Right. And. Uh, yeah, it was a little bit, but we knew he was sick. Okay. Because he quit playing and uh, you know staying home and. But the but the Bill Black combo kept kept going. You continued to uh, to record, but with a uh, with uh, with another bass. There was player. a road band that went out. I did, and I, st- I stayed home. 
Okay. I'd quit the combo and just stay in the studio and work. Okay. And again, this is at Ro Royal Studios right. with high records. Yeah. Okay. And so tell us about Willie Mitchell. Tell us about the importance of Willie Mitchell in the, the Memphis kind of music scene. Well, he used to play in a club across the river over in West Memphis. Him and, uh, I'm trying to think of the name of the club, but uh, uh, anyway, Al Jackson was his drummer. Mm -hmm. And he had a great band. And But uh, he became part of the high rhythm section mm -hmm. and was backing up a lot of people. And he would produce a lot of people. Okay. And eventually became one of the owners of... Uh, of high. Yeah. So we sort of intermingled. Uh, Willie, I played in Willie's band, and uh, Willie would play in our band sometimes, so okay. we just kind of swapped back and forth. Yeah. And we had another guy, Ace Cannon, who was a... Saxophonist. Saxophonist, yeah. So it was, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> so that, uh, so so this is early 60s, you're, you're recording at high. Yeah. What were some of the hits you played? I remember one was uh, Haunted House. Haunted House by Jumpin' Gene Simmons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a big record. Yeah. Big one. What were, what were some of the other uh, big records that you played on? Uh, I'd have to rack okay. my brain. Okay. So then we get up to, uh, then you're, you're, you're working at, at High and you're recording there. And uh, then all of a sudden there's this offer from, from the Beatles and they want the Bill Black combo to play. To be the, the opening act for their first yeah, tour. Yeah, so this, this is, you know, this is the beginning of Beatlemania in the, exactly. in the U.S. And uh, I didn't really know what that meant. Okay. But I, I knew I wanted, I was, I was thinking, hey, well, I wasn't married, and I said, uh, I'd like to go to Europe, and here's a free way to go to Europe, you know? Yeah. And... Uh, so we did 30, 30 days in the United States uh, with the Beatles. Right. And then we were the, what they had, the, the union had a trade agreement. Uh, so many musicians from England could come over here and so many could go over there okay. on a work visa something. Yeah. So we were the trade band for the Beatles. And uh, after the tour was over here in the States, we went to uh, Europe with Billy J. Kramer, mm -hmm. and uh, and there was the acts on that tour was like Eric Clapton with the Yardbirds and uh, the Nashville Teens and the Kinks and mm -hmm. a lot of those English groups, you know. Yeah. So and, on the, on the English, I mean on the uh, on the American part of the tour, now of course everyone's familiar with you know when Beatlemania began, there were. You know the the crowds were just screaming yeah. and and all of that mess and people couldn't really hear themselves play. No. But what were some things that you can tell us about you know the Beatles that you know because I, we all know about the screaming that was done. But what were some things about the Beatles that you got to experience? Well, we all traveled together and uh, we hung out a lot together. We play, we were stuck in Key West one time because of a storm. Uh, we just took over the restaurant and played music the whole time. Mm -hmm. And uh, I became friends with George Harrison. Yeah. And uh, he uh, wanted to know the gauge strings I was using. Mm -hmm. I, I said, because oh, I played a lot of blues and I'd bend strings, but you couldn't do it with heavy gauge strings. Right. 
Because he was he was probably using a wound third. Yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah, and then uh, he I remember him saying that uh, he said, you know, we're just now uh, realizing that there's nowhere on the planet that we can go that we're not recognized. Hmm. You know. And was he was he sad about that? No, he just made the statement. Okay. So that was in '64. Yeah. So that was at the beginning. At the yeah. beginning, yeah. yeah. And I, oh, I didn't know what uh, when I got on that tour. I didn't realize it was Beatlemania. Mm-hmm. It, and uh, we went to the Cow Palace out mm-hmm. in San Francisco for the first show. And uh, I remember we left Memphis on a Greyhound bus, mm-hmm. <laughs> the band with all our stuff, yeah. and and we get, went out to. Uh, San Francisco, and, and uh, we were the opening act and backed up the other acts that were on there, like the Righteous Brothers and mm-hmm. Jackie DeShannon. And, uh, anyway, it was... But when the Beatles came on, oh, man. Yeah. We, we had to play an hour before they came out yeah. on stage, and it was just... I don't, you couldn't hear nothing. It was yeah. just, yeah, you yeah. know. And, so you you had mentioned that you were using an unwound third. How you know there weren't you couldn't just buy a set of strings with an unwound third at at that point, could you? No. So I'm, what would you do? I'd use a, a higher gauge third, the higher gauge third string that was not wrapped. Okay. And uh, James Burton did the same thing. Okay. So y'all would just move the strings over. Yeah. Yeah. And so what would you? And so you would just get another uh, first string, or you, yeah. 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 Okay. So that you would have, you know, three unwound strings right. and three wound. Right. And then, you know, with this on this Beatle tour, there's there's some photos of uh, the the Dick Clark performance with you on the on the, the with Bill Black. You had a, a Gibson ES three forty five. Exactly right. It was sunburst with the and it was a stereo yeah. amp. Yes. And it had the knob thing you could turn. And so I had that when I got that guitar, I had it mainlined instead of being stereo. I said I wanted just to okay. Yeah, yeah, I didn't even use the volume on it. Okay. I just went from the pickups right to the amplifier. Okay, so uh, you do a volume paddle. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> that's that's actually a common um, modification now, and uh, where the because because of the stereo and the and the veritone switch, yeah. it kind of kills the tone. Yeah, yeah, many people feel it kills the tones of those guitars, and so right. they uh, they have they have all that disconnected. So and and it, you can take a lot of the weight off the guitar. Exactly right. <laughs> So and, and what kind of so you had a so you had a, a, a three forty five and and we're using a volume pedal live yeah yeah and then what and kind of amp? Standell tube amp okay and uh, I, I remember at the first show we were on the plane and George Harrison came down the aisle and so where's the guitar player with Bill Black so he found me set up somewhere he said what in the world are you using they had these new Fox amps, they were uh, pretty loud. But mm-hmm. that Standell was louder and cleaner than anything they had. <laughs> you would say, what are you playing through? Yeah. And it was, a, it was the old Standell amp. Yeah, the, uh, most of the early Standell amps had, had that kind of Naga hide covering on them, and they yeah. had a 15-inch JBL or Altec speaker yes. in them, and yes. they, they were really powerful amps. Yes, they yeah. were. Yeah. And I bought that amp because of... When I was in Memphis playing clubs and stuff, it only had one input. <laughs> so whenever somebody would come in a club, I'm going to play with your 
amp, you know, and, but there's only one one input, so they can set it in. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's a nice feature to have when you when you don't want to uh, play with uh, yeah. <laughs> with other people. So oh, one other thing about yeah. the Beatles tour, uh, we had uh, dark suits that had Bill Black combo initial BBC. Okay. Well. The kids thought that was moving from the BBC. Okay. <laughs> they had to actually maybe touch Ringo or somebody. You know, yeah. And they chased us all over the place on yeah. those shows. Yeah. Uh, kind of a, a, a quick aside kind of Beatles story. So I have, I have a friend of mine. They got to meet Paul McCartney recently. And he indicated to him that uh, they, were, they were having a discussion about, uh, you know, playing, you know, live and playing under pressure, you know. Yeah. And... Uh, my friend indicated that one one of the most uh, intense moments for him was playing in front of you and your wife Jenny you know, on on Broadway, and and so he was you know telling Paul McCartney you know about you and Jenny you know sitting there in front of him, and Paul McCartney said, "I know Reggie." <laughs> <laughs> wow! So he he <laughs> remembers you from uh, yeah. I guess from that from that tour. So that yeah. was a it was a good tour. They were really. Uh, Sincere in what they were doing, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And even though it was craziness. Yeah. Uh, but they they were serious about performing. The oh music. yeah. Yeah. Pretty much so. So on the uh, on the English part, I mean, on the European part of the tour, you know, you're you've got Billy J. Kramer, and then you've got you know Clapton playing with the Yardbirds. Yeah. And, and you're you're you know at this point in 1964, you know, you're in your early 20s. And Clapton's like seventeen yeah. years old or something so, like that. Yeah. So yeah. you're 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 a bit older than Clapton, and uh, and you're a little more advanced. And uh, you've already at some point you've you've already played with BB King. You've sat in with him. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I, th I think the story is that you had to you had to be off stage because they wouldn't allow you to be. Uh, oh yeah, on stage. by him. Yeah. 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 Part of the uh, with BB. Yeah. Yeah. I call it was uh, integrated. Yeah. You know. And white guys can't be on stage with them. <laughs> yeah. So just a, a quick aside. So you know, when you, when you got to play with uh, with BB King, did you ask BB himself or someone else in the band? Who did you ask to sit in with him? Uh, when BB would be in town in Memphis, mm -hmm. they played a place called the Plantation Club over in West Memphis, okay. or his band did, not BB. Okay. And uh, the drummer's name is Sparrow, I think. Okay. And uh, I could go over there and sit in with the band, but I had to stay behind the curtain. Okay. You know, and I'd plug in and uh, and play with with their band because it was really funky. Okay. <laughs> it I really bet, was. I, I bet it was. Uh, so back to uh, you know Europe and and playing you know with the Yardbirds. So uh, yeah. So how how do you meet Eric Clapton? I mean, our, does Eric just come up to you and? I think it was during a rehearsal. Mm-hmm. But he was a blues player, and I was too. Yeah. And uh, so we really hit it off. And we'd sit and jam between shows or songs and stuff, you know. Now, so, were you learning off him, or was he learning off of you? I think we were learning off each other. Okay. Good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And He, and, uh, he mentioned me in his uh, autobiography. Yes, he did. Yeah. And uh, it was real nice. I got to thank him for it. Yeah. And 
things he said. Yeah, there are not many players that get mentioned in his uh, in his autobiography, and he, <laughs> yeah. he mentions you in glowing terms. So, yeah, it's very nice. Oh, as one other thing I was thinking about the Beatles. Okay. Uh, when we first started, the first first show that uh, whatever town we were in, the local DJs would come out to rev the crowd up, you know. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> so they they would come out. The DJ would come out and say, "Well, are you ready to hear Ringo?" Go, yeah. And Paul McCartney, oh yeah. And they're just hollering and screaming. Mm -hmm. Well, here's the Bill Black combo. <laughs> you know, Boo. Boo. <laughs> They didn't, want to, they didn't want to do that. So finally, after about three dates, uh, we got them to quit doing that because they were hurling stuff on stage. And, right. Uh, and not underwear. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> and, uh, anyway, the end for the beta tour. Okay. But, uh, and so, you know, with with uh, with Clapton, uh, was was he playing a, a, what kind of guitar was Clapton playing? Was he playing a Telecaster or a? You know, I don't remember. Okay. It's been a long yeah. time ago. Yeah. Yeah, and but but he was using an unwound third also. He had already yeah. learned about that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you ever think that you know that Clapton was going to go on to be? No. Yeah, yeah. And I know then, he was a good player, but uh, yeah. <clears throat> you know I never th th thought he would accomplish what he did, which he did. You yeah. Know? Well, you, you, he probably didn't sing with the Yardbirds at, at all. Yeah, no, yeah. just playing. Yeah. Very cool. So when did you start working in Muscle Shoals? Gosh, when I got out of the Army in the okay. early 60s. Okay, and so was this for Rick Hall? Yeah. Okay, and was this the original rhythm section with like Norbert uh, Putnam and... Yeah, and, David Briggs, yeah. keyboard, uh, Norbert, and uh, Jimmy Johnson mm -hmm. played guitar. Anyway, I, the, their guitar player uh, had passed away. So they, and I had known him, I'm trying to think of his name. Anyway, so uh, I would come over from Memphis and to be their guitar player. And, okay. and uh, I met uh, Dan Penn, who, uh, who, the first time I met him, he came up and he kind of kicking his feet around shuffling, looking down the floor and said, I knew you a guitar player, and I said, how come? He said, your case. I had no beat-up leather case. Mm -hmm. He said, you must be pretty good. Because <laughs> your case was worn. Yeah. <laughs> but he was, a, he was the funkiest white man I'd ever met at the time. Yeah. And an amazing you know, songwriter you know, the, I know. The, and producer. Yeah. Yeah. So you started working in Muscle Shoals, and uh, and that was part of the of the first you know first rhythm sections, you know before I guess you know because Jimmy Johnson and and uh, and and the, the David other cat, and, you know, those other cat, cats kind of came yeah. in a little bit later. Yeah. So when did you meet Chips Moman? I was playing in a club over in West Memphis. Let me think. Was this before a High Record? Maybe. Okay. And he was a guitar player. Mm -hmm. He played really good. Yeah. And uh, he'd come in and sit in with us a lot. Yeah. With, I was playing with Eddie Bond, so that's back okay. before our, our high records. And uh, <clears throat> anyway, we became friends. And I just sort of known him off and on over the years. And, yeah. So <clears throat> Chip's kind of... Uh, now, the, the name... 
the Chips is a is a nickname. His uh, I mean his real name is like Lincoln. Yeah, so where Lincoln, where did, Lincoln Wayne. Lincoln Wayne Moman. Uh-huh. So where did the nickname Chips come from? I don't know. I know he had some poker chips tattooed on his arm. That's what I had heard was that it came from he really enjoyed gambling a lot. He loved to gamble, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So and just so we can kind of uh you know, kind of tell the story of, of Chip's moment real quick. He he was part of the formation of Stax Records. And so he engineered and kind of produced some of the early sessions. And then there was some type of dispute between he and, and Jim Stewart. Right. Yeah. We don't, you know. Oh, I don't agree. Yeah. So then uh, he kind of went off on his own. And so when did he start going down to Muscle Shoals and start? Because he, because as a guitar player... He played on some some major albums, some oh, things yeah. that that. What are some of the things that Chips played on? Uh, Land of a Thousand Dances, yeah. one of them. <laughs> yeah, Wilson Pickett. Yeah. Is he playing that? Dun, 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 yeah. Dun, yeah, yeah. And uh, is that him on Aretha Franklin doing Respect, doing the, the opening lick? No, I think that was Joe South. Okay, but uh, he played on a lot of Aretha stuff. Okay, but. Uh, uh, there's a lot of stuff in uh, Muscle Shoals that he did play on. He did go to New York and work for Jerry Wexler at Atlantic, mm-hmm. Atlantic Records. Yeah. And I, I used to go up there with him, me and him, and bass player Tommy Cogbell. Okay. And uh, <clears throat> we'd go up there and work uh, for a week yeah. for Wexler. What, what were some of the things that you cut with Wexler in, in New York? Well, uh, Solomon Burke. Okay. Was was one, uh, and I swear I can't remember okay. that. Well, Solomon Burke, that's that's yeah. that's 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 a good one to to list. So you mentioned Tommy Cogbill. So Tommy was a bass player, but uh, tell me how you met Tommy. Uh, in Memphis, he's playing yeah. clubs. He's in a little jazz group, yeah. saxophone, and bass, and uh, keyboard. I think. Okay. Was he playing bass or guitar? He's playing. Uh, he played guitar uh, yeah. a lot of times, but yeah. he was an excellent guitar player. Yeah, and uh, he knew all those old jazz songs in the proper keys they were supposed to be in. I, you know, I didn't realize that Tommy was a guitar player until I I, I saw a picture of him on the back of uh, Aretha Gold, which oh, is, wow. uh, and and it shows a picture of him and he's holding a Telecaster, and then I realized that uh, on Aretha now. Uh, he's playing a lot of the because they had moved uh, Jerry Jamat to the bass chair, and Tommy was playing guitar on those records. Wow! Yeah, that's wow. Yeah, so, yeah. He's an excellent musician. Yeah, and uh, and he he played all those kind of busy uh, bass parts yeah. on, on the early Aretha right. you know, records that were big and hits. What was there's another one, Memphis Soul Stew by uh, yeah. King, King Curtis. Curtis. Yeah. It's a busy baseline. It's yeah. great though. Yeah, and and on that on that track, you know, you're you're playing guitar. Yeah, and many people, you know, they give credit to Cornell Dupree uh, for for playing that because they've they've heard like a live clip of it, or they, there's a video of Cornell right. playing that, you know, with King Curtis. Yeah. But but the original recording, you came up with the part. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you played it. I enjoyed working with King. He he was. Before that, I'd, when I'd play a solo, I'd usually, after we got there, I'd say, well, let me go back and fix something. You know, he was the first player I knew that could play solos and you didn't need to do anything. 
He didn't. And, he didn't. He didn't. He would just play a solo. He didn't fix no, anything. No. Yeah. And I said, I wanted to be like that. So I, thinking, when I'd play, I'd say, I'm gonna play like King Curtis. <laughs> <laughs> so that was your goal. Was yeah. To, yeah. Wow. But, he he made some uh, amazing uh, amazing records. Oh, he did. He yeah. did. And he was kind of Aretha Franklin's kind of band leader. Yeah. 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 You you mentioned Jerry Wexler already. How did you meet uh, Jerry? Was it the first time you met him? Was flying up to uh, up to New York? Up to New York through Chip's yeah. uh, moment, I guess. Yeah. And uh, and Tommy. Yeah. So the three of us would go up there, and they paid us a hundred dollars a day. <laughs> So that was uh, that was you know you were just kind of paid a flat rate to, right. to play on the album was that yeah. hundred dollars a day yeah well, doesn't sound too bad and uh, was Tom Dowd uh, the yeah. engineer on those he was yeah who would later work on the Clapton and all sorts of other right. records yeah was he a, a, a good engineer he was an excellent engineer yeah so you're playing on these these sessions and at this point you're using maybe four track or or, you know, what, how many, you know, who knows, you know, four yeah. to eight tracks, something like this, this in the mid-60s. How important were, were things like mic placement and things like that? They're very important. Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, he, usually he'd come out on the floor. When he was in Memphis, I was at uh, Moment Studio then. I, I had uh, quit our American because, oh, I'll bring this up. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Used to like Union Scale was sixty dollars or something mm-hmm. for a three hour session. Mm-hmm. Well, if uh, if we only cut say two songs, they had to clear it through the union. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had to clear it with the sixty dollars, and uh, but then we go get our check at the union, and we had to kick back thirty to the owner of the studio. Oh wow! And uh, so that they used that. They had a safe down there, and we all knew that there's just Loaded with money for payola and all that stuff, mm-hmm. but uh, Ray Harris, the, one of the owners, called me one day and said, uh, <clears throat> "We're going to have to cut you back to ten dollars a side." And I said, "Really?" And uh, I knew then. I said, "Well, I'm I'm quitting." Yeah. And uh, and this was at 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 Royal or was this at, at a, yeah okay this was at Royal yeah yeah so. Uh, it was about an hour later, the guy that owned the studio called me and apologized, said he was just trying to see how cheap we could work. Oh, wow. <laughs> but I knew I knew from that moment on that uh, I was going to uh, get out of that studio. I, I couldn't work that cheap. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> moment when we come to America. America. Because he was setting up his own studio. Yeah. So they had... Uh, Instead of three-hour sessions, we were doing five-hour sessions. We give them an extra two hours. It's a Memphis thing, mm-hmm. and we get scaled for whatever we did every five hours. And uh, so that's how the band started. Uh, Moman was an engineer, and uh, Gene Freshman was the drummer. We just kind of hired people all over. Bobby Evans was a keyboard player. Bobby Wood was a piano player. And Tommy was a bass player. Yeah. And Gene Christman was a drummer. And uh, boy, we cut a ton of records over there for uh, for Moen. Yeah. And uh, we quit. We decided to quit traveling. 
uh, men mowing and cogbell <clears throat> and said, all right, if they want to use either one of us, they're going to have to come to the studio to do it. Well, that was good for Moan because he owned the studio. You right. know? But I, I was tired of traveling, and so was Tommy. And the first one, I, would, I did a record with Joe Tex called Show Me was the name of it. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was with his band and me. And uh, I went over to Nashville to do it. And when we got through, Joe said, all right, we want to book some more time. And I said, uh, I can't, uh, no, I can't do that. I'm, I'm not working anywhere but at American Studio. And he said, oh, really? So he, he uh, talked to the producer, and uh, they came to Memphis, and we cut uh, Skinny Legs and All was a big record. Mm -hmm. That was the first one that we'd done with Under the New Thing, you know. Yeah. Uh, we'd... Uh, one, one for all, one, you know, and if any of them went anywhere, well, they'd have to take me with them, <laughs> mm -hmm. and vice versa, you know. Right. So, yes, yeah, so so Chip's moment started American, and he got together this, this yeah. rhythm section that you were you were the guitarist. Yeah. And uh, it, might, it must have been really advantageous to have a, uh, a rhythm section and, and your amps, everything's set up, everything's the mic'd same up. place, yeah. yeah. And mm. the and then you just have you have the same rhythm section every single day, right. and you just have different artists come That's in. That's it. And oh, I remember you asked about Tom Dowd. When he would come down with Waxer or, or mm -hmm. a Reef, uh, I remember Tom, would, as we worked the songs up, there were like head arrangements we'd work up on the floor out there. He would come out and he would... I uh, want you to be this part of the studio to be quiet. All right, you, you guys keep doing that. And then he'd add till he got the rhythm section like he wanted it. And, so he was, uh, he was arranging it. He was arranging and uh, the mic placement. And he's a very smart man, very yeah. smart. What, uh, what were some important lessons that you learned from, from, from Tom Dowd or, or Wexler, or some of those other producers that you're working with? Well, we could work together as a group instead of individuals, you know. Mm -hmm. and, uh, so seeing the, seeing the bigger picture instead of just thinking about the guitar? Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, anyway, they brought in Wilson Pickett one time, and uh, not one time, a few times. Yeah. We got some really good records on him. And, uh, um, Bobby Womack comes Bobby in. Bobby Womack came in. <clears throat> and and I, I learned a lot from Bobby Womack. Yeah. And he was left-handed, but he he would, could take my guitar and play it mm -hmm. without having to change the strings around. So he would, he would. Uh, we were sitting like you and I are, mm -hmm. and he, he'd be watching me, and I'd be watching him. And it's funny the styles changed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was playing those thirds and stuff, and he was playing uh, Bobby Wallen. Yeah. And uh, I, I stole a lot of stuff from him, and he did yeah. from me too. So yeah. that's an interesting point. The uh, the kind of the Memphis style of guitar playing, yeah. Because you have yourself and Steve Cropper, right. and uh, and then of course you have some other individuals that weren't necessarily Memphis guys that also kind of played in that style, like Cornell Dupree, yeah. And others. Where did the style come from? Because part of it is like the the you know the the fifths and the sixths that right. are sliding around. And then there's the kind of flowery kind of playing 
that uh, you'd also maybe hear from Curtis Mayfield and, and some other guys. Yeah, he's a good yeah. player too. Yeah. So where did where did where did that come from? I don't know. It's come from marriage yeah. and all melting pot. Yeah. You know. Were Were you taking some of the some of the things of of like Chet Atkins, some of the harmonized things, and then and then making a little funkier? Probably so. Okay. Yeah, probably so. Yeah. But uh, Bobby Womack really influenced me more than anyone I can think of. Yeah. And he'll say the same thing about yeah. me because he, he, he had a uh, handmade guitar up in New York that he used to bring down and play. Okay. And he bought a Telecaster like mine. I'm thinking, man, why are you playing a Telecaster, you know? Yeah. And, uh, but... Uh, that's the style he went to. And so he started playing a Telecaster because of you? Yeah. Yeah. But uh, So that, that's an interesting question. So how did the Telecaster kind of become the Memphis guitar? Because it seemed like that was that was used. Uh, it wasn't the, obviously the only. It wasn't the only guitar that you had. But, no. But uh, that, that seemed to have kind of become the, the Memphis style of guitar playing is kind of played on a Telecaster. I don't know. That's yeah. a good question. Yeah. Proper played play right. on one, yeah. but we all played Telecaster. Yeah, and even the Muscle Shoals guys, yeah. Jimmy Johnson and, and yeah, some of the absolutely. other guys, were, were playing Telecasters yeah. also. Was it just the utilitarian aspect of the instrument? Could or? have been. It could yeah. have been. Easy yeah. to travel with, too. <laughs> yeah, don't have to worry about it getting crushed. No, so at, at American, you, it seemed like you were recording with some R and B acts, and 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 you know obviously you know different you know white and black artists, but yeah. then uh, it, it seemed like that kind of that kind of stopped, and I was wondering if you could if if this was a factor, how much of a an effect did the assassination of Martin Luther King have on Memphis? A lot, a lot, because we were all friends, everybody got along. And it seems like after the assassination, they were a little standoffish. We didn't, uh, I think we had Aretha booked, and she canceled. Wow. And uh, uh, Bobby Evans, the organ player, I remember him saying, well, we didn't do that, you know, and uh, it's not my fault. And... Uh, but it was different. The whole attitude of, of that changed. Because before that, in Memphis, obviously Memphis in general was there was uh, you know a lot of racial division. But it seemed like that the musicians were pretty integrated. Oh, they got it. Yeah, absolutely. And, but then this, even though you had been somewhat integrated. When the assassination of, of Dr. King, it seemed like that was kind of it was that relationship was was really hurt. It was. Yeah. It was. I, I really hated to see that go that way, but I didn't have anything to do with it. Yeah. This has been an audio presentation by TrueTone, TrueTone.com.